out the corner of my eye, I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, I never seen a man who looks so all alone. Or could you use a little company? If you pay the right price, your evening. We are back. Hour two of the WRSU crew. I'm Dylan McCoy, joined by Alex Carminati and Gideon Fox. And guys, we are back here with some hot talk about the NBA. We have the MVP race heating up as the, uh, I believe, 72-game season comes to an end. We have, you know, obviously I think a lot of people, you know, it's been a race of big men uh, mm-hmm. for most of the season with Jokic and Embiid. Um, but, you know, as, uh, as, as a video game famously once said, a new challenger enters, um, and that new challenger is Steph Curry because Easily. he has been absolutely on fire. He recently broke the NBA record for most uh, three-pointers in a calendar month. I believe he has like a 90 this month, which is 85 to be ridiculous. exact. I'm looking at the article 85. right now. ESPN. He has 85. Um, he passed Harden. Um, absolutely ridiculous. I still think uh, Jokic is the MVP, but I'd love to hear from you guys first. You know, uh, who do you guys like right now, and uh, who is someone that you think maybe is not the favorite right now, but someone who could maybe uh, step in and win the award? Well, I'm looking at Jokic, you know, Dylan, like you said, the Jokic and Bede debate. Um, but, the, you know, Jokic obviously plays in Denver, and they've gone through a bunch of injuries this year. And Jokic has still been able to put up those numbers, and, you know, it shows that he could change the game when he's in. Um, he, he When he's on the floor, something changes, and he does average 8.2 assists per game. So, you know, he's still – or sorry, he, he's been averaging 8.2 assists out of during his last six games. Um, so even with injuries – to the rest of his team, he's still able to find guys on the court and give them the ball at the right place to get them to score. Um, but, you know, over those last six games, he's averaging a double-double with 26.8 points and 10.7 rebounds. So, you know, someone who is able to do what he is doing with not too many people around him, healthy people around him, um, kind of makes me pick him. But also, I mean, either either Joel Embiid or uh, Jokic deserve this award. I mean, they're both just so good. Uh, the Sixers are kind of on a skid right now, but you know Embiid. When he, you know, it's the same kind of same thing with Jokic, where when you watch them on the floor, you just they have such a presence because they just do so much. You know, Embiid's a big man, but he's knocking down threes. So, you know, just both super exciting to watch, and I think it's going to be really hard to tell who's going to get the MVP. But both players, I think, are deserving of it to an extent. Gideon, I have two words for you: Stephen Curry. Those two words. I think he gets it. He's just been unbelievable. Not just the 85 threes in the month of April by itself. In 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 a calendar month, setting the NBA record for three-point shots made with 85 total. In April alone, he's averaging 80, uh, excuse me, 38.2 points a game with those 85 threes at the same time. Don't get me wrong, Joel Embiid's having a great year. He was injured. He's still being incredible. Jochich, your point on that, he's playing unbelievable without Jamal Murray and his crew. Steph Curry's doing the same thing without Klay Thompson, his so you know his pretty much sidekick, his splash brother they call him in 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 uh, Golden State. I'm gonna have to go with Steph Curry, and I'm staying St- Stephen Curry because when Golden State altogether is looked down upon before this year, when when Klay Thompson gets hurt, when uh, even when Kevin Durant left the scene, Golden State has not been the same team. I get that altogether. Steph Curry though has been consistent year after year after year. And in this year alone, when Golden State is 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 just one game above 500, and 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 they're battling back and forth, back and forth for 
a uh, playoff seed right now. They're a top 10 uh, team, so they would be in the playoff, uh, uh, rather the play-in game as the number 10 seed altogether. Currently, they're 30 and 31 on the year, 5 away winning percentage, and of course, 13 and a half games back of Utah. They're not getting Utah. I, I, I get that definitely, and Utah just clinched their spot uh, in the playoffs, the first team in the league to do so. But my point is with Steph Curry is that when you put up those alarming numbers and when you turn things around with the flick of a switch without your splash brother, without your sidekick, Clay, Clay Thompson, who's been injured for the entire year, you know what? He still might, 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 might have Draymond Green. Andrew Wiggins is playing a decent factor as well. But Steph Curry, has he, 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 he's not human. He's just been unbelievable. He's superhuman. He's not from this world. He's not from this planet. He's been unbelievable as of late. And really, the main reason why Golden State is in the playoff race to begin with. Of course, you know, personally, there, there, there's, there, there's, there's always that argument or that notion that it has to be the player of a winning team. Thus why he's been so incredible. And that's why he is the MVP. Of course, that, that's going to be the, the both arguments for Embiid and Jochic. In this case, with a team that is just over 500, that is fighting their way in the playoff race, and how Steph Curry has been able to be so solid, so incredible, so dynamic, and so consistent this way, especially as of late in the most recent calendar month in the NBA with with the numbers, the points, all of that. He's just been incredible. And I'm not just saying this because I saw him play. Uh, I saw Joel Embiid in that same game almost have have a triple-double. He was two assists away from that triple-double back on April 19th. I went to that game in Philadelphia. But my, my point is, is that uh, Stephen Curry has just been an absolute warrior, quote unquote warrior, no no pun intended. And altogether, Steph Curry has just been unreal, and really, he's been something else with injuries playing a factor on Golden State's year the entire go round. Yeah, I think Steph Curry has definitely uh, talked his way into the conversation, but I think Nikola Jokic uh, definitely has to be the favorite still. Um, you know, one safer metric that I like to look at for basketball is player efficiency rating. Player efficiency rating measures, you know, basically how well a player plays and how efficient he is on the floor. Nikola Jokic is currently having the 14th most efficient season in the history of the NBA. And I think that speaks to how good he is. Nikola Jokic is the possibly the best passing big man in the history of basketball. And he's been in the NBA for about six years. I think Nikola Jokic is doing things no other center has done. In games when Jamal Murray is not playing, he's averaging a triple-double. He's nearly averaging a triple-double just to begin with. He's averaging 26-11-9 this year, which is absolutely insane. He was an all-star because, of course, he's going to be an all-star. He is leading the Nuggets to still be great. I believe Gideon said this, but they're 4-0 since Murray has been hurt. And... You know, in the 10 games he's missed, as I said before, Jokic has averaged a triple-double. Um, and, you know, the one thing I would also say for Curry is, you know, uh, team record does take is taken into account. No, um, since the, the playoffs expanded to 16 teams in 84, uh, no person has ever won the MVP on a team seated seventh or lower. Um, and I understand that, you know, nine and 10 weren't playoff teams until literally this year. But I just think the efficiency that Nikola Jokic is putting up these stats with and the fact that he's doing it also without his co-star in Jamal Murray, um, I think he has to get the nod. I don't want to see Embiid win MVP. He's been playing really well. I think he's missed uh, a few too many games. And I just think Nikola Jokic is doing things we've never seen from a center. So I think 
that this year he is the best player in basketball. He is the reason the Nuggets are a top four seed in the West, and he is the most valuable player, no matter which way you define most valuable. Those are fair arguments. I will give you those arguments in their respective ways. But when Steph Curry began the year without Klay Thompson, his top playmaker, his top uh, teammate per se, the way he's been able to transform, the way he's been a- able to do so, not 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 just his entire career to change the three-point game and literally set the mark of how the NBA has become the three-point shooting game it has become, like we talked about earlier on in this program, but altogether, I think it's just incredible how Curry, with a top ten team, with a team that that is just over five hundred, that is that 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 is ba- battling thick and thin every single night, every time you turn around, just pulling out wins with Steph Curry's play, it says a lot. And you know what? An MVP shouldn't be based upon how well the team does, I think, in my opinion. Look, look, look! it should play a factor. Don't get me wrong. It should not be the entire reason on why a player wins the MVP award. If Steph Curry has been able to keep his team in the playoff race for the entire year, the way he's been doing so, especially as of late, with his with his incredible numbers, his incredible store, uh, scoring, 85 three-point shots made in a calendar month, the first time that's happened in NBA, history league setting historical record and when 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 he's averaging 38.2 points a game during that same span it says a lot about the man Stephen Curry the player Stephen Curry and really the the game changer Stephen Curry the, the pioneer Stephen Curry say say what you want about him say you know all his celebrations his dances whatever say whatever you want about him he is unbelievable he's he's an incredible talent he's been that same way for the longest time, thus why Golden State has been so incredible the past several years winning their championships. But in a year where 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 Golden State is just barely over the 500 mark, and Clay Thompson is not playing this year, he's he's had to do that from the beginning of this year without Clay Thompson. Uh, you know all these scenarios going forward. Steph Curry has still been carrying this team on his back, and the way he's been doing so, you know. In fairness, with the with the little help he's had at times, he's been able to be a game changer, a playmaker, and really, to be honest with you, I think, in my opinion, with Golden State, they're going to be a, a sleeper team to watch out for once the, the playoffs begin. I I I I think they play they play their way into the playoff game, into in, into the playoffs as a top eight seed where, where, wherever they are, seven eight whatever. I think they're going to be dangerous in the playoffs once they make it, and Steph Curry is going to be the guy who carries them to there. Thus, why he should be the MVP to begin with. Well, I mean, I I just think you know you have a guy like Jokic who's also shooting fifty seven percent from the field. Curry, oh, it's incredible. Curry, don't, don't get me Curry wrong. hasn't you know Curry doesn't break fifty, and you know I am nitpicking, but it's the MVP award. You know you have to nitpick. They're great players. You're gonna to have to nitpick. I mean, they're both 40% shooters from three, which for Steph Curry, I'd argue, is pretty normal. But for a guy who's like seven foot one, like Nikola Jokic, to shoot 40% from three and to average, you also have to, like, Curry is averaging five assists a game at point guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the guy who has the ball most of the game brings the ball up, has the response, has the ball the most time. Nikola Jokic is averaging nine assists a game, sitting in the post and playing center. I mean, it's ridiculous. He, I don't know what the most assists in a season for a center is, but I guarantee you, Nikola Jokic is going to set it. Those season. are all first. He's sta- doing things that a, sure. he's doing things that a center has never done. He's averaging 1.5 steals a game too. He's one of the better defensive players 
in our league. Um, and it's it. I just I I he's the best player in basketball. Steph year, Curry also Steph Curry also ha, ha, has been able to make his plays in the paint as well. Believe it or not, he he is a flashy player from beyond the arc. We we all know that definitely. He's also been able to. At the right time, make his assist-making plays. Make his plays where he he moves the ball, he creates plays, he makes plays, he sets the tone for the entire team. A tone that that's been riddled, riddled with injuries ever since this year began. Jamal Murray got hurt. That's terrible. I get that, and Jokic has been incredible in adjusting to that. Steph Curry has had to adjust the entire year, and he. he with, whether he's adjusting or not, whether, you know, whatever he's doing, he has been able to be such a force the entire year long. Thus why he's putting up 80, 85 three-point shots made in a calendar month the most ever. Gideon, I want to hear from you. Dylan and I have been going back and forth for a while. But uh, you're you're with Jochich, I believe, as well. Uh, sum up why also again. Yeah, I am going to ride the Jokic train. Um but I also, like you know, I was saying before, I wouldn't be opposed to be on the Embiid train if you know something happens and you know, God forbid, one of them gets hurt or one of them significantly improves and you know just goes on a tear to end out the season in the playoffs. Um, the thing that, about Steph Curry is, you know, I, I don't follow the NBA too closely when it comes to awards, um, but I mean, he needs to get some recognition for what he's doing right now from behind the arc. It's like every shot he takes, no matter where he is no matter how contested it is, no matter what's the score in the game, no matter how tired he is, how many minutes he's played, it just goes in. Um, and it's just impressive to watch that. You know, but Dylan, like you were saying, like with Embiid and Jokic especially, they, they just do so much that you wouldn't expect a big man to do. You know, at the end of the day, Steph Curry's doing his job. I, I look at Jokic and Embiid and I see them doing their job as well as the job of everybody else around them without them taking away from those people around them. They kind of have gone above and beyond their jobs and you know I don't want to say pay grade because they're getting paid plenty to do this but you know they, they kind of just do everything um you know with their tremendous size so I think Jokic does it better um recently like we were saying before his numbers are just better than Embiid's but you know it comes down to who's the best player in the NBA you know meaning who's gonna have the most impact for their team who's gonna have the most presence on the floor I really I can't see it being anybody but Jokic yeah I just I've I've never seen a big man do what Nikola Jokic has done this season, or Embiid. Honestly, they were Embiid was playing amazing. Um, I just think he's you know been injured a little bit too much, uh, to you know qualify. He's he's average. I think he's still over thirty points a game, which is crazy. Steph leading the league in scoring at like thirty one three, um, which is you know Steph Curry things. It's still incredible. I mean, believe it or he, not, I think he gets the recognition he deserves. Oh because sure. Because he's unequivocally, like, unquestionably the best shooter in the history of basketball. That's fair. Like, I don't think anyone questions that. He's going to break the all-time threes record in a couple years, and he probably is going to have a lot more time to expand on the record. Um, But I think without Nikola Jokic, you know, you make the argument that the uh, the Warriors wouldn't be good without Curry. Without Jokic, I don't really – I see the Nuggets being, like, a 7 or 8 seed. They're not a title contender. He – is the best player this year, in my personal opinion, um, and I think he deserves the MVP. I'm just glad LeBron's not going to win it again. <laughs> I will say that, and finally that we have this uh, diverse competition of players, big men, great shooters like Curry all together. If we're going to agree on something, guys, I think we should agree on that. I mean, I'm happy Giannis isn't getting it again because Giannis <laughs> has won it the past few years. I love Giannis. That's true. But... 
um, it's definitely exciting to see, you know, other people win the MVP. Um, it's interesting because, you know, the last couple of years, it's been point guard. We've had Curry. It's been Westbrook. It's been Harden. Then Giannis, who, you know. Forward, yeah. Giannis, you know, is the forward, but he's bringing the ball up, you know, like a point guard. Um, the last really, like, big man, well, he's not even a big man, but the last tall player, like, Jokic's height we saw win the MVP was Kevin Durant in 2013 with the Thunder. Um, the last center to win an MVP was Shaquille O'Neal in the 1999-2000 season. Um, and you know, I think you know centers are in in the early 2010s. It was really the point guards that were revolutionizing the game, and of course, no one more than Steph Curry. He literally changed the way basketball is played. Uh, it was amazing what he did, but. At the same time, I think the centers and the big men are really starting to catch up, and basketball is becoming more, less of a less of a point guard dominated game when you have guys like Jokic and Embiid that can, you know, really dominate on the floor and take over during a game. In a way, that's true. I don't d- disagree with that point. I just think over time, you know, Curry has just revolutionized the, revolutionized the game to why the game has become a three-point contest shooting game. And with what Steph has done this year especially, with with how riddled Golden State has been with injuries, with how back and forth they've been, which with, with, with how they've been able to stay at 500 consistently, barely at times, really, um... It says a lot of where, where where this team is and how Steph every single night just puts the team on his back, puts the team on his shoulders. Jochic does the same thing, and Bede's been doing the same thing with Philadelphia too all, all year long. I just think with Steph, with, 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 with how much of a caliber guy he's been his entire career, how he's changed the game to begin with, even when Golden State seems to be turning down da- da- down the wrong side of the street or the wrong side of, of the uh, the win column per se, when, 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 when they're not as competitive as they've been the past several years and when Steph is still doing this to still be so solid no, no matter where Golden State is in the standings and to still be so consistent, so incredible, Incredible, so superhuman, even without his sidekick, Clay Thompson, pretty much his best player, who he feeds off of, of course, a lot, without Clay Thompson, with Steph Curry by himself, sort of. I mean, he, he's, he still has Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins, and, and they're playing factors too, but Steph is just carrying this team all the way forward, all the way forward. It is just unbelievable what he's doing, and it, it's it, it, it's really a Steph Curry season like nothing else because of how he's doing it all by himself. It's just the one-man Steph show. With that, we will take a break. NBA, uh, NBA MVP action. So much going on. Folks and guys, I'm, 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 I'm just blessed that, that we have sports and that we can have this conversation even during such an unprecedented COVID-19 pandemic. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Stay with us on the Monday crew of WRSU on 88.7 FM. Back on the Monday crew of WRSU, live on WRSU FM New Brunswick. Alex Carminati alongside Dylan McCoy and Gideon Fox is with us over the Opals. Gentlemen, let's talk some baseball. And all together, Dylan, you wanted to bring up a topic about one of the most electrifying players in the MLB right now, Fernando Tatis Jr. What's that story all about? Well, Tatis, you know, just, um, you know, he had a slow start. He was a little bit injured, but he's uh, been hot recently. He just set a record. He's the first shortstop ever to hit three home runs uh, in three consecutive games. 
versus the Dodgers. He actually had five in three games. He hit two in two straight days, including two off of NL Cy Young, Trevor Bauer. And then he celebrated on him by putting his hand over his eye because Bauer famously likes to cover or close his eye when he's pitching. Um, And I love it. I think baseball's young stars should be allowed to express themselves. I think it translates the game better. It markets the game better. And let's be honest, if you throw a baseball at another person because someone hit a baseball off you, you're a baby. Yes, you're a baby. If you throw a baseball at someone because you got a home run hit off of you, you're a baby. Pitchers, the unwritten rules of baseball are dumb. If you hit a home run, you should be allowed to celebrate. If you strike someone out, you should be allowed to celebrate. You know, it's not... It's not the nineteen the nineteen fifties anymore. You know, sports people celebrate in sports. Uh-huh. It happens. Like, and, just let it happen. And again, and not just baseball. That should be for every single sport, no matter what. The NFL does the same exact thing for taunting and celebrations and all that stuff. You had that big issue in the NFL as well. And in in a fair way, why do you think that's coming now to the to the MLB? Just because the young players are just really good. Like the young the the young players who don't care about these unwritten rules are insane. Like, you know, you think of some of the best players in the league already: Raúl Acuna, Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto. You know, pitchers like Mike Soroka. You know, all those guys are extremely young. Like the young crop of baseball players is just incredible. The prospects I'm seeing now, like, wait on a couple of years when we get Jason Dominguez. Like, I know every Yankee fan is waiting for him while he sits in Double A. Um. But I just think that the young players are so good. And guys like Tatis, you know, he's going to hit 45 home runs this year. And he's going to look super cool hitting every single one of them. And he's becoming, as much as I want it to be Mike Trout, like, I see Tatis becoming the face of baseball with, you know, playing the way that he does. Could be the face of baseball. He could maybe be the MVP also this year as well. That wouldn't be shocking in the National League. Gideon, let me ask you this. I'm looking at an article by Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic, and Dylan mentioned all that about Fernando Tatis and the whole Trevor Bauer thing, where Trevor Bauer got upset because uh, Fernando Tatis celebrated about his home run. Oh, no, no, no. He didn't get a – no, no, no. Bauer was, like – Bauer was actually pretty cool about it. Oh, okay. He was literally like, yeah, like, he should celebrate. Like, I just need to be better. I misinterpreted. No. I I was actually surprised because Bauer has been – any, nothing but lame the past couple uh, months, years. Well, the thing is, it's funny that we bring up Trevor Bauer because Gideon, I'm looking at this article, and Bauer has accused Fernando Tatis Jr. of peeking at signs. That's been something recently coming up in the MLB revolving for, for, Fernando Tatis. Yeah, Dylan, that Dylan, was proven. <laughs> I, I saw the, you know who John Boy is? The YouTube, the, okay. the guy on Twitter? He broke it down. That's pr- like Tatis did look at the sign. He did. He yeah. did. <laughs> well, nonetheless, Gideon, give me your thoughts on Fernando Tatis altogether, but specifically on that story. Yeah, I mean, well, first on that story, um, regardless of if he did it, and you know, Dylan, you're making it sound like he did it, so I'm going to take your word for it. Um, that's just going to make that rivalry even better. You know, everyone Absolutely. on Sports Center today was talking about the SoCal baseball rivalry, and you know. It's not like, you know, at some point, everyone still signs the MLB. We all know it. It's just we only hear about the people that get caught. <laughs> so, the Houston Astros. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to put any fingers, but <laughs> the Houston Trashros. So there's, you know, what happens, whatever. This is part of baseball. At least he wasn't taking PEDs or anything. Like, we'll put this aside. And I think for the sake of baseball, a sport that kind of always struggles with 
what Rob Manfred loves to call the casual baseball fan. We could kind of debate if that even exists and who that person is. But to someone who, you know, doesn't necessarily live on the West Coast or follow West Coast baseball, just hearing about this new rivalry between a potential, you know, two potential World Series favorites mm-hmm. um, with electric players. You look at the Dodgers really didn't lose anybody um, after winning the World Series. And then you also have Tatis Jr. with the Padres you know, just absolutely destroying stuff at the plate. So it's going to be interesting for the rivalry. Um, I'm very excited to see Bauer pitch against Tatis again. We're going to see that plenty more times this year. Um, But, you know, Tatis is exciting, Dylan. You know, you mentioned he's electric. Um, He's just been so good recently. I saw a stat today. um, This is according to the Elias Sports Bureau. Tatis is the only player in history with at least 40 homers, 100 RBIs, and 20 stolen bases through his first 162 games. Um, he's currently 158 games. He kind of had a, a rough couple of years to start the MLB getting injured, but now he's pretty much played just about a full MLB season, spread it over a couple of seasons. So just 40 homers, hundred RBIs, 20 stolen bases, pretty good rookie season. That's an um, MVP level season. That's incredible. Right that's an MVP season. Exactly. And he has five home runs in three games. So, you know, Dylan, you mentioned it, it took him a couple couple weeks couple games to get fully into it but when you look at his you know a full season of games he's played that is a a fully mvp worthy season and he's really only getting started yeah you know i um i definitely think that this rivalry is really good for baseball i think a lot of us in the you know offseason saw the moves the padres made they obviously got blake snell you darvish joe musgrove um i believe they got tommy fan mike clevenger mike clevenger um, yeah, but I think a lot of people thought this would be exciting, but it's really, you know, exceeded a lot of expectations. I know Jeff Bassan last night tweeted, uh, can we please get 162 games of this Dodgers Padres series? <laughs> and I definitely, uh, wouldn't be opposed to that, you know, I, I still think the best rivalry in baseball and arguably the best rivalry in sports is Yankees Red Sox. But if you want the most competitive and most exciting rivalry in baseball at this moment, it's it's Dodgers Padres. Dylan, I think he just read my mind because my next question, either for you and Gideon, really, for both of you guys, personally, in my opinion, I've always said the best rivalry in baseball has been Dodgers Giants. I say that because of the New York to California move, how close they've been, you know, competitively, how how vicious the rivalry can get at times as well, how nitty-gritty it's been from, of course, Brooklyn and uh, New York to then uh, San Fran and Los Angeles. Now that the Dodgers and Padres are getting into it, uh, Gideon, I'll start with you since you sort of brought up the whole rivalry notion to begin with. In what way has the Dodgers-Padres rivalry overseeded the Dodgers-Giants rivalry, and how will it continue to do so? Let's say both these teams continue to be so competitive going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think you know when it comes down to it, all those three teams are great teams. The Giants are currently fourteen and eight, um, and I, I think. One of the great things about rivalries is there are historic rivalries, but there's also new ones that pop up. Sure. You know, and if we're going to have a Tatis versus the Los Angeles Dodgers pitching rivalry come up, you know, just zoning even more specific than a general Padres-Dodgers rivalry, I think that's awesome. You know, imagine a full stadium, you know, at Dodger Stadium with Tatis up to bat with Trevor Bauer on the mound. You know, Forget David about Keon. it. Exactly. Like, Bauer Bauer's one of the best pitchers in the game. Tatis is one of the best hitters in the game. That's just awesome. Um, I think that the teams have more name notoriety and notability than the Giants. So I just kind of think for baseball, 
the Padres are the better face. And I think that's kind of why we're hearing more of the Dodgers Padres um, rivalry. But I also think, you know, this weekend was the Dodgers Padres. So I think that is just kind of on the forefront of our mind just because we saw that play out over the weekend. But I just think it, it comes down to more of a Tatis Dodgers rivalry. You know, the Padres are a good team, but when you have a guy like Tatis, that's, you know, kind of overshadows a lot of the team. So definitely excited to see what this rivalry is going to turn into and also excited to see what's going to happen with the Dodgers and Giants down the road. Dylan, to just uh, follow up even further on that question, you know, Dodgers, Giants, Dodgers, Padres, you mentioned the Red Sox and the Yankees. And, and of course, that that's one of the more famous rivalries in baseball and sports, also one of the greatest, don't get me wrong. When it comes to how this new Dodgers-Padres rivalry might be o- overshadowing that Red Sox-Yankee one, can that be the same scenario at, at that time as well? Can, can can this new rivalry between the Dodgers and, and the Padres overshadow two of, of the greatest baseball rivalries and sports r- rivalries ever in Dodgers-Giants and Red Sox-Yankees? And if so, how can that do that going forward? Not Yankees-Red Sox. It can. No? Okay. Yankees-Red Sox is maybe the best rivalry in all of sports. That's fair. Um. I don't care if both teams are awful. No game, no atmosphere compares to Yankees Red Sox. I just, as as a baseball fan, maybe I'm also biased because I'm a Yankees fan. I didn't mean to do that. Um, maybe I'm also biased because I'm a Yankees fan, but I genuinely just think that nothing compares to the atmosphere of a Yankees Sox game at Fenway or at Yankee Stadium. I, I Dylan, I, I totally agree with that. I think it's also the history of it. You know, there's just so much that goes back, you know, hundreds of years ago or a hundred years ago. So I think it's just, it's too historic um, for that rivalry to ever just be lessened. It's always fun. It's always something that, you know, you never wear any Yankees uh, paraphernalia when you're in Boston and you never do the same when you're in New York wearing Red Sox stuff. So it's just too historic. It's too ingrained in the culture right now. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned the atmosphere at Yankee Stadium and Fenway. Those are ballparks that have a ton of history. And already have a great atmosphere, even when there's not a rivalry game. So I think when you combine just the, the attitudes of New York sports fans and Boston sports fans, it kind of just leads to this like beautiful rivalry that is always fun and always something to look forward to. Yeah, uh, I would definitely agree. I also just think the markets, you know, New York and Boston are two of the biggest sports markets in the country. Um, and both teams have a lot of fans you know, not from New York and not from Boston. Um, so I think that just it's two huge fan bases really coming together. Um, and right now, like Dodgers, Padres may be the most competitive rivalry in baseball, and that might be the NLCS in October. I really mm-hmm. wouldn't be surprised. Probably. But at the same time, I just I don't think anything compares to Yankees-Red Sox. Those I, are all fair points, and I see that. I just think altogether, L.A., Probably is the second biggest sports market in the 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 United States. I I think it's much bi- bigger than Boston, and Boston is big in its own right. I just think where and the same thing when it comes to Dodger fans all across the country. The Dodgers have several fans in New York and Boston and L.A. all all, all over the place. Yeah, but the difference with L.A. is that, like if if the if the Dodgers were terrible, no one would care about them. Like the Rams, no one cares about them at all. No one like the Dodgers are different because the the Dodgers over time have ha, have grown well, into being an LA team. Football just 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 doesn't belong okay. in, in LA. If, if you look at the Lakers, like uh, post when after right after Kobe Bryant retired, sure. they could not sell out that arena. They were awful. Uh-huh. Like no one would go. It, as much as I like 
talk down upon the Knicks and the way their team has been run for like the, you know, their entire lives. In New York, if you have terrible teams, like the Jets still fill up their stadium every year uh-huh. and they're garbage. The Knicks have been garbage up until this season and they fill up their stadium. So, you know, I think LA is a big city, but you know, it's it's not a sports city. It's a movie star city. Depends. New York is a sports city. You know, we love our sports, you know, New York sports talk shows are the highest rated talk shows in the country. No one is better. No, you never you, you can you do not have a better choice of options anywhere else in this country for the radio than you do in New York. That's you fair. have Craig Carton, you have Michael K, you have, you know, Guys, I don't like him, but you have Mike Francesa. He's great. Um, <laughs> he was he was probably great thirty years ago, but I just sure. New York. New York is the biggest sports town. New York sure. has the best rivalries. Sure. I think Giants Dallas is one of the best football rivalries. I think Yankees Red Sox is the best baseball rivalry. But you can say the I same think Knicks, time. Nets is already a great rivalry sure. and expanding into being an even better rivalry. I just think New York brings the intensity where other towns don't. You can also say at the same time the Dodgers-Giants rivalry that was born in New York has transformed the California and has made California baseball what it is for the past 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years even. So those are all fair points. I get that New York is New York. L.A. over time has still become a really hot sports town. And over time, it, it, it really has. The Dodgers have always been popular no matter what. The Lakers have been popular no matter what. Even during those down years, I think they were still popular altogether. And now that both teams are, again, con- continuously on fire, it says a lot. But when it comes back to rivalries, sure, San Diego might not be the biggest market, but San Diego is drawing more people to watch their games. They're a fun team to watch. And having that fun team to watch, plus not just the defending World Series champions, but a team that is easily right now the best team in baseball, the Dodgers, and 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 and, and how LA's always been a big sports market, how the Dodgers have been the Dodgers, that franchise, that 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 LA franchise that that always stands out to people. The same franchise that, that stood out to people in Brooklyn, especially, you know, Jackie Robinson, not Jackie Robinson, whatever, they were still the Dodgers. And, and the Dodgers have the meaning like the Yankees have the Yankees and the Red Sox have the Red Sox. I get that, but but the Dodgers in its own way has been unique. Dodgers-Giants has been unique in its own way, and now that Dodgers-Padres is starting to form once more, it just you see, you see the Dodgers involved in so many r- rivalries, um, and, and, and I'm not saying Dodgers-Giants rivalry is dead. Nowhere close to that, but Dodgers-Padres has assumed to being, I think, the top rivalry, the, the most competitive rivalry, and altogether when it comes to to being a rivalry that, that, that's going to take over baseball for several years to come and really pave a way for this generation for baseball rivalries and baseball players. Well, I think when it comes to rivalries, having a big market is important. You know, I think, like we were saying before, I think that's why the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry is so big because you have the New York market versus the Boston market, you know, cities that are four four hours apart from each other, aggressive fans in both, fans that want success, fans are used to success in those cities. But, you know, just kind of thinking about, like, rivalries in general, you know, Dylan, you mentioned a football rivalry with the Giants versus the Cowboys. That's always a great rivalry, even when the teams are not great, you know, as they are now. That's always a rivalry and a game to look forward to. But I think kind of a rivalry that I think dispels the big market 
uh, the big city and the big market notion is a Green Bay Packers versus the Chicago Bears and kind of the Green Bay Packers in general. That's a good one. Because you have, you know, they're right near each other. So you could kind of compare that to Yankees, Boston, Yankees, Red Sox, or, you know, Devils, Rangers, that kind of stuff. Um, Any of the California baseball rivalries. But then, and you have the Chicago sports market, but it's not like Green Bay is a sports market. You can't really point out Green Bay on the map of Wisconsin. It's a small city, but they pack Lambeau Field every weekend. So I really, I think it has more to do with the teams kind of than the market, which is why I think, you know, Dylan, or Alex brought up the good point about, you know, the Dodgers being back here in New York all those years ago was an interesting point. But, you know, I think it's just interesting when you think about some of these smaller teams that still have, some of the smaller markets that still have, Huge rivalry, some of the most notable rivalries in all of sports. Though that's fair, Gideon, and and again, a rivalry is a rivalry, and it's incredible. I just think how the Dodgers, who ha- have always been the Dodgers in that big LA market, usually it's always Dodgers, Giants, in in uh, the East Coast case, Yankees, Red Sox, all that going forward. I just find it incredible how Dodgers, Padres all together, it's it just transformed into the rivalry it, it has become, the rivalry it's starting to become. And people want to see it. People are buying into it. People are loving it. And it's just the beginning of uh, of a new generation of baseball talent, of baseball matchups, and of division opponents that just love to go head-to-head against each other. Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying there. But with that, we're going to go to a quick break we're gonna come back about got about 15 minutes left we're gonna come back with rapid fire right after this you are listening to the monday edition of the crew here on wrsu fm new brunswick joe dimaggio my favorite line in that song, but this is the Monday edition of the WRC crew. This is our so many rapid... good people named in that song. A, a lot of American history. Is... If you, if you want like a crash course in American history, we didn't start the fire by Billy Joel. Amen. Um, but this is the rapid fire segment where we go over the stories we haven't really talked about today. I'm Dill McCoy, joined by Alex Carminati here in studio, and Gideon Fox on the Opal. Gideon, you are in charge of this story, arguably the uh, rapid fire czar of WRSU because you. Or do a lot of rapid fire segments, but uh, why don't you lay this one on us, man? What do you got today for rapid fire? Look, that's a new title. Uh, gonna have to change my Twitter handle to that one, though. Rapid like fires that. are Gideon Fox. I, I like it, I, it rolls off the tongue. Sounds good to me, Commander. <laughs> well, just finishing up our conversation we were having before, we talked about Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, Whale in the show, we talked about Shohei Otani. So if you guys had to pick right now, you're building a baseball team. You're an expansion baseball team. Who are you picking? Are you taking Shohei Otani or Fernando Tatis Jr.? I am going to take – it's a good question. See That's if, tough. If, if I had any pick, I'd take Juan Soto, to be honest. But I would probably take Tatis in this. In this, I just think that Tatis might be one of the best hitters in baseball. Um, and I think Otani could be that way too. But I also think him being a two-way player could hurt him becoming one of the better players in either uh, – hitting or pitching and i think with tatis you already have a guy who you know is one of the best hitters in baseball and he's like 22 years old and he has time uh, i believe otani has played a little while professionally in japan um before he came to the united states so i believe he's older i'm not sure how old he is i could be um incorrect but right now if i were an expansion team and i had the choice i would take fernando tatis jr i would agree 
I would so so my first choice would be Mookie Betts actually, but that's a good um, pick. That's a good pick. Fernando Tatis. I got. I mean, and again, Shohei is something else. He's incredible. Don't get me wrong. Shohei has been a bit overhyped also ever since being in the MLB. He's talented. Don't get me wrong. And it, it it's incredible to have a pitcher who can throw it out and someone who can hit uh, bombs for you at the same time, all in one start and all in one game at at the same time altogether. But when Fernando Tatis has become the generational talent, he's become the uh, the the. Uh, pr- the projections, what he's been able to do, the intensity he brings. Otani's intense in a way. Tatis is just he's the he is probably the future face of baseball. Like like Dylan mentioned earlier, he is the future face of baseball. He's a guy with a personality. He's a guy who's going to get you rallied up, fired up, pepped up for any game whatsoever, whether it's Dodgers, Padres, whether it's Game One or Game Seven of the World Series playoffs, whatever. Fernando Tatis is a guy I, I I would personally side with. Also someone who is going to be consistent when it comes to hitting a bat, getting your home runs, and being able to make plays in the field. Otani, look, you saw Otani a bit earlier this year, almost blew, blew his arm out against the White Sox at home. Hit a home run in that game, was really dangerous and really wild towards the end of that start, thus why they pulled him. He th- he gave up really three un- unearned runs for uh, – uh, for uh, the, for the White Sox to score after he was taken out in that first start. And sure, it might be the first start things have changed. I would go with Tatis for a more overall complex and consistent type of uh, type of forte. Wait, I know what start you're talking about. None of those runs were Otani's fault. Those were all his defense's fault. That Sunday night baseball start against the sure. White Sox, those... He let up one earned run, and he had four unearned because his defense absolutely failed his, him in one inning. His defense it failed him awful. in a way. It was awful. The defense failed him in a way, but at the same time, they should have taken him out. And Otani was tired. Otani didn't have the juice. And when, when you saw some of the pitches he threw, they, they weren't pretty either. So you, you can say whatever you want on that. My second pick would be 28-year-old Mike Trout, just, just, just for the record. Well, that's kind of, you know, speaking of Mike Trout, is why I would take Otani over Tatis because you look at Mike Trout, who, you know, was the face of baseball. He was, he or still is. He's, when he came into the league and started making a name for himself, he was such a stud. I mean, he, he's a guy who could just hit bomb after bomb after bomb and was so consistent from the plate. Yet, baseball, it doesn't work if you have only one guy in your lineup that's hitting bombs. So, you know, you have one. You just you need a full lineup in order if you want to make any kind of dent in the MLB. So, for a guy like Mike Trout, who was doing great on his own, but was playing on a not so great Angels team, you know, before Shohei Otani got here, I kind of wouldn't want that to happen with my expansion team if I take Tatis Jr. Um, I, I I'd be very happy with any of them. I'd be happy with Mookie Betts or Juan Soto too. You know, those are all talented baseball players. But I'm going to take Otani just because. I've kind of we've kind of seen a power hitter, you know, take a couple of years to get his team going. So I'm gonna take Otani with that. But one thing we talked about the NBA MVP race, but we didn't really talk about New York basketball. So the Knicks are riding a nine-game winning streak right now, looking for their tenth tonight. The Brooklyn Nets are beat up, banged up, they're injured. Um, you know, what do you guys think now? Is this were the Nets kind of always set to fail? Were the Nets always, or were the Knicks always set to succeed? And we're finally just seeing the true form of these teams now. You know, what's happening recently in New York basketball? 
Yeah, um, I think Knicks fans are getting very, very big-headed. Uh, <laughs> no, they're, they're having a really great season. They're overachieving. Uh, clearly, you know, they've decided to not self-destruct themselves and run their team like an awful franchise. Uh, clearly, James Dolan is out of basketball operations and is just a figure. Which is a point. great thing. Absolutely, no. Um, it's good for it's good for the NBA when the Knicks are good because, you know, it's, a, it's another big market team. Um, the Knicks and Nets, you know, have had a pretty great rivalry this year. They've had two games decided by you know, kind of controversial calls, which is, I think, good for the sport. And they both went the Nets way, so it's good for me. Um, but, yeah, I think New York basketball is, you know, in a good spot. But, Gideon, did you see what Stephen A. Smith said today on first take? Oh, I did not. He, what did he say? He said that apparently Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going are going to regret picking the Nets over the Knicks even though the Nets right now are in first in the Eastern Conference and have also James Harden. I saw that. We'll see. But... Oh, that's, well, I, that's uh, I don't know. Right now, crazy. That oh, no. right now crazy. that's bad. That's bad. It's crazy. Don't get me wrong, but we will see how it plays out. I just love that the Knicks... And say what you want about the Knicks. Say how you feel about the Knicks, whatever it is. For the Knicks to be relevant and for the Knicks to be playing the way they are with all they've been dealing with and everything that's happened over the many years, it says a lot for, one, a global pandemic to be happening when the Knicks are playing good. But when they, when, when, when they are playing so good and so well in, again, the biggest sports market ever, in the world's most famous arena – being the New York Knicks, the New York Knicks franchise that is so eye-popping to all people, whether they're a good team or a bad team, say whatever you want about them, say whatever you believe about them. The Knicks are, are an eye-popping franchise, and they always catch your attention whether they're good or bad. It's it's a good thing for the league. It's a good thing for all sports altogether to be seeing such a franchise performing so successfully this year, especially when they've been so hot the way they have been and that they're a top-four team in the wide-open Eastern Conference. Yeah, I mean, it's just been fun to watch us, you know, Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett. I mean, Julius Randle's playing out of his mind right now. He's just so talented, and they're both so young that, you know, Kyrie is, and, and Kevin Durant, James Harden, they're all older players. Kevin Durant is incredibly injury-prone, as, as we know right now. That yeah. I'm... Yep. You know, like Stephen A. Smith can say what he wants, but, you know, watching Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett ball out over these last couple of games just made me so relieved. Yeah, I mean, I still think if the Nets make it to the playoffs healthy, they're they're fine. I, I, I don't see anyone beating them in the East. I don't uh, know. Oh, yeah. Philadelphia no might give them a good run for the money, I think. They just can't defend them. They yeah. might not defend there's well, too, but there's 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 too many scoring options, and even the guys on the bench like Bruce Brown are stepping up. I just we'll have to see. I mean, that series is months away if it's gonna. Happen. Oh, of course, and so, and, and, and 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 to be honest with you, it's probably gonna be the the Eastern Conference Final easily. Yeah, most easily. Likely. Most but likely. I think when it comes to to, to to those teams, Philadelphia, once they get Simmons back, once they get Tobias back, once Embiid continues to do his thing, he's doing. And if 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 those young players like Milton and those young guys can can, can continue to step it up, it's going to be a dogfight no matter what I think. And one topic that I saw today, moving to a different sport and a very interesting part of a sport we don't always talk about, is projected number one pick in the NFL draft, Trevor Lawrence, has said that he's going to convert his signing bonus to Bitcoin. 
he signed a partnership deal with a Bitcoin app, a Bitcoin trading app, Bitcoin mining app um, called Blockfolio. And then Sean Culkin, who is a backup tight end on the Kansas City Chiefs, look, hoping to make the roster this year, said that if he makes the roster, he's going to convert his salary to Bitcoin. So what do you guys think about this? this first kind first of, of all, smart by the by the dip. Bitcoin is Bitcoin's down like two grand in the past like week. So they're smart by the dip. That's that's what I have to say. By the dip. I'm not that financially in tuned or economically in tuned, but if you know what, I go with the experts. And personally, if Dylan right here is saying it's good, if Gideon, if you back it. Good for them. To, 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 to be honest with you, sports is sports. Money is money. How, however you make your money is however you make your money. Put it wherever you want. I don't care how they spend it. Yeah, I'm completely fine with it too, especially A, because someone who is going to be a starting quarterback the second he gets drafted and is going to be tasked with rebuilding a team set it, sure. but also because someone on the complete other side of the spectrum, someone who isn't even set to make a roster this year, said he's going to do it, that – it's not even at this point, it's not even how much money you have. It's just the fact that you will put your money into that, whatever money that you have, you're going to put into it. So, you know, if guys on the opposite ends of the pay spectrum in the NFL are going to do it, I am I think it's good for them. I'm excited to see what happens. Bitcoin uh, just... is changing not only the financial world, it's changing the sports world also. <laughs> just funny. And then my final topic is the Atlanta Falcons have the fourth pick in the NFL draft. Plenty of talented wide receivers to go. I saw an article today talking about a Julio Jones trade. So he's going to all that too. Probably. That, that, that's gonna crazy. Go? That that that's probably going to happen. And when it does probably happen, it it, it it's going to be weird to see him not in a Falcons jersey. Yeah, I can't believe that. But I mean, I definitely think that it's going to happen. They have a pretty tough cap situation. But with that, it looks like we are actually at time here. So. That is going to do it for the Monday edition of The Crew from Gideon Fox, Alex Carminati. I'm Dylan McCoy. Stay tuned to WRSU. We're going to transform you to an evening with Scott Einhorn here. This, is, this has been the Monday edition of The Crew on WRSU FM, New Brunswick.